Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us. Wherever you're listening from, we hope you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. David, I got to take you on the road with me. That was one of the best intros I ever had in my life. That was really great. Now, I got to make a confession now. You know, it wasn't as big a sacrifice as you might think. I happen to love South Florida. I love Miami, love Fort Lauderdale. Yes. So when my, uh, my agent called me and said, we have a date, I said, where is it, Miami? I said, cancel something, make it work. That's it. <laughs> so actually, you know, I was in, uh, where was I? I was in uh, Anchorage, Alaska last week. Imagine being from Alaska, and then, then I had to go to Vegas for the show I'm doing, and then I come here, and tomorrow I'm going to Arkansas, and then from there to Tennessee, and then back to, imagine leaving my, you know, Anchorage, Alaska, come to Miami, then going to Arkansas. Hope there's no Arkansas people in here. <laughs> I mean, I'm really looking forward to that. No, it's going to be great. But uh, honestly, I, uh, my heart is really in Florida. I was uh, telling David, I, I think I said earlier at the service, I used to live in Delray Beach. I started coming down here in, um, in the 70s. I can tell this story now. We may as well put it out there. I got myself in some trouble, you know, mob-related, way back when I was young. And they sent me down to Florida, you know, until things worked out. And uh, I didn't want to go back. I said, hey, this is where I'm going to get more trouble and stay down here. But... And then I moved down here. I had a house in Delray Beach uh, for quite some time. And in all honesty, I have nothing but great memories in Florida here because during the most turbulent times of my life, or some of the most turbulent times, I used to, uh, you know, just sit in my backyard. I had a house on the intercoastal and look out at the boats, and I, I was in another world. And I always had great times back here. So anytime I can come, I look forward to it. I'm trying to get my wife to move out here, but, you know, she's a California girl. You know how that goes, you know. And we live in, uh, in Newport Beach in Southern Cal, which is nice, i got to admit, but it, it's not Florida. So, uh, David, thank you so much. And I will say this. I, uh, I feel a kinship with this church for some reason right away. You know, I mean it. I mean it. The energy, now, as David said, I've been in churches all over the world. The energy in this church all day has been unmatched, at least by everything. Yes. And I, I have to say this, ladies, ladies, for all of you, the guys were just as energetic on Friday night. I mean, they, they were really into it, am I right? Yeah, they, they were into it big time. We had a full house, and it was great. And I've been hearing from so many on social media now. It's always good to make good friends. So thank you all. I mean, really, I look forward to coming back here anytime I can. I hope to. And I told David if he's ever, you know, wants to take a little vacation, he needs a substitute preacher, just give me a call. You know, we'll do it. we could do it. So, so anyway, and we went to a great lunch today. You know, we're down by the water, the boats. I mean, how can you beat it, right? It's just amazing. But, you know, people, in, in all seriousness, every time I come up and, uh, and speak, my prayer is always the same realizing that I'm just a messenger here tonight. I've been a messenger here all weekend. And, um, you know, I'm not here to impose my faith on you. I'm not here to turn anybody into a Christian. I'm here merely to share what the Lord has done in my life. And I believe as Christians, that's what we are obligated to do. Mark 16, 15, go out and preach the good word to all of creation. We're all obligated to do that, whether we're on the stage or wherever we are. Share the good word. Share what the Lord has done in my life. And I'm certainly not here by accident. You heard what it, it took to get me here and how we got to match up schedules and do some marketing, all of that. I'm not here by accident. Now, neither any of you. Now, I guarantee if some of the guys, uh, don't raise your hand, you don't have to be that honest, but if I ask some of the guys, why did you come here tonight? You didn't come to hear a gospel message. You figure, hey, the Sopranos is off the air. Let me go see what the real mob guy is all about, right? That's okay. Whatever God uses to get you in the door, that's okay. But you're not here by accident. And I realize that if you're here tonight, 
God wants to plant the seed in your heart. And my prayer is always, Lord, let me be effective. Let me be passionate enough in delivering this message so that you can reach out and touch the heart that you want to touch in this room. Now, it might be one person, might be 10, might be everybody in the room. I don't know. And I don't worry about that because that's God's deal. I just want to be effective. And um, I'll tell you this. Somebody's going to be impacted in this room tonight, no doubt about it. One person's going to come out. It's happened every service so far. One guy came out, Mike, I had no idea you were going to be here today. I just came here, but the message really touched my heart. I really needed to hear that. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, it'll happen tonight. It happens every single time. And some of you are going to walk out of here. You're going to say, ah, pretty good story. Heard something like that before. You're going to go about your business. But I will tell you this, that seed absolutely will be planted. How do I know that? Because God doesn't waste opportunities when he has his people together. Now, for some of you, it might take 20 years before that seed is watered and nurtured and God does with you what he will. But I can guarantee you this, people. Once God's got a hold of your heart, he will never let you go. So I always say this, make it easy on yourself because God's going to get you right now, tonight, no doubt. You know, before I, I really begin, I want you to take a real good look at me and I'm really serious about this. I'm probably the most blessed, most fortunate person that's ever going to walk up on this stage and speak to you about anything. And the reason I say that is because had I been left up to my own to do what I wanted to do, follow the path that I was on, I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. And quite honestly, that's what I deserved. That's what I earned for myself, having spent over 20 years on the street every day, and I mean every day, in violation of both God's laws and the laws of man. I was a knowing and willing sinner. And people, I'll tell you this, there were times in that life I was very uncomfortable with what I did. But you know what? I did it anyway. I was a knowing and willing sinner. And people, nobody pushed me into that life. I made a conscious decision to become a member of that life. That was my decision. I take full responsibility for it. And I want to tell you, I don't know any of you in here tonight. I don't. But I guarantee you, some of you walked in here with heavy hearts. You're struggling about something. You got some kind of challenge in your life, whether it be financial, family related, something in the community, something that you're dealing with personally, addiction, who knows? I don't know. And if you're not dealing with it tonight, you might have dealt with it yesterday. And if it wasn't yesterday or tonight, it may be tomorrow. That's just life. That's how things happen at times. And some of you are figuring, you know what? I'm in such bad shape now. I've done so many bad things in my life that God can never forgive me. God's grace doesn't extend to me. How can he use me? I can't even get out of my own way. That's what you're thinking. Well, I want to tell you this. You look at me. Because at one point in time, people, I was probably the worst person in the room. And if God can forgive me, and I really believe he has, and let me tell you, there's no arrogance in that. I struggled mightily with forgiveness. You don't get on your knees, say a prayer, think it's all over, you know, in one prayer after you do what I did in my life. I struggled mightily with forgiveness. It took me a long time. But I finally came to realize, the more I nurtured this relationship with Jesus, and people, if I wasn't giving you my testimony, I could talk to you all night about a relationship with Jesus. Because when you cut to the chase, get down to the bottom line, that's what this life is all about. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That's it. And the more I got into my Bible and I got to understand, the more I was searching for my faith, the more I began to realize that the entire message of the Bible, the entire message of the cross is about what? God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. It all culminates with Jesus on the cross and then His resurrection. And the message is so clear. 
If we sincerely confess our sins, what's the key word there? Sincerely. Because people, let me tell you this. I was pretty good on the street. I could probably scam a lot of you in here tonight. Oh, what a great guy. What a great ministry. Amazing what God has done in his life. Walk out of here, be the biggest hypocrite there is. Until I get caught, because that always comes out. But if we sincerely forget, for, uh, confess our sins, because remember this, people, God knows our hearts. We can't pull a scam on God. And we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are forgiven. That's it. Hands down, no matter what you've done, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and we are forgiven. That's it. That's the gift of grace that God gives all of us. We know we can't earn our way into heaven. We can't do that. That's God's gift. And if God can forgive me, and not only forgive me, but give me my life, give me my freedom, a wife that I adore, children that I love, a ministry that I never asked for. I never intended to go into the ministry. It was the last thing I thought I'd be doing in my life. I couldn't understand the name Michael Francis next to ministry. Didn't make sense to me. But as God started to show me, no, 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 this is what I have in store for you. I gave you, I allowed you to go through that past so that I can use it for my future, for your future. And that goes for all of you. God doesn't cause us to sin, obviously. He doesn't cause us to have trouble. He doesn't create these situations for us so that he can, he can use them. But when we fall into them, he says, okay, I can use that too. You got a drug addiction? I have so many guys to me. Michael, I've been a drug addict all my life. I've been a bust out. I can't get my act together. What are you doing now? Well, I'm following the Lord. Really? Well, who better than you to minister to guys that have that problem than you? You've got credibility. People, credibility is 90% of everything. When I sit down with these gangbangers, I show them that video. Oh, I say, don't tell me that. Don't tell me you can't get away. I walked away from the biggest gang in the life. You can do it too. In the world, rather. You can do it too. There is a way through Jesus. So those of you that might be struggling, please listen to this. Because selfishly, I want you to walk out of here a little bit differently than you walked in tonight. I want you to feel it, people. And I know the Spirit's going to get you. Take this night seriously, because honestly, I'm not here to entertain you. I take the ministry very seriously. God's been extremely good to me. And I try to make this work every time I come here. So I am going to tell you a little bit of a story. Now, it is a mob story, but please don't focus on that. You want to see me in a mob, you can go on YouTube. i got all sorts of videos. I'm all over television. They're doing a movie about my life. Go rent The Godfather again. Do all of that stuff. Watch it, whatever you want. Don't focus on that. What you need to focus on is how God took a very dark time in my life and turned it around to fulfill a purpose in my life now. The same way He will for all of you. That's it. My dad was the underboss of the Colombo family, one of the five New York Mafia La Cosa Nostra families. And that's a very powerful position. That was back in the 60s. That life, you have a boss, an underboss, a cop regime, or a captain, and a soldier. I'm sure many of you have seen The Godfather. There is a position called consigliere. Robert Duvall played that role. Played it brilliantly, I might add. But in The Godfather, it was fictional. Because in order to be a sworn, made member of that life and take the oath, and you do take an oath, your father must be Italian. Mom can be of another descent. Dad must be Italian. And my dad, in terms of law enforcement investigation, media attention, very high profile, always under investigation, always a major target of law enforcement, kind of like the John Gotti of his day. I'm sure many of you have heard of John. And I grew up, I assume, a lot differently than everybody in this room. I grew up hating the police, hated law enforcement, hated the government. And not because my dad taught me that way. He was smart. He taught me to respect the law, but it was really because of what I witnessed as a kid growing up. Their tactics, techniques against organized crime were very different back then than they are today. Today, everything's very covert. 
a lot of undercover informants, high-tech surveillance equipment. Today, a guy can be under investigation and not really know about it until it's too late. Back in my day, when you were under investigation, they wanted you to know about it. For a period of about 10 years, when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, later on Long Island, my dad was under investigation from seven or eight different agencies. FBI, IRS, Queen Detective, Brooklyn DA, you name it, they were on him. Every one of these agencies had a car parked around my house 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Dad is cornered on all sides. I was one of seven kids. Whenever we as a family would leave to go anywhere, we had a parade of law enforcement vehicles following us. Everybody knew when we were coming into town. And I witnessed some things that were kind of unpleasant. I got into a lot of scuffles with them. My dad was my hero. I saw them as the enemy. I remember one night we went as a family, sat down in a, in a restaurant, had a bite to eat. The agent would file in, sit in a table behind us, watch us eat. One particular night, this Nassau County detective, I'll never forget, he passes by my table, makes a nasty remark to my dad, loud enough for all of us to hear. He didn't like that. You don't disrespect my father, especially in front of his family. Dad jumped up, went right after the agent. Agent got scared. My dad was a tough guy. Pulls out his gun right in the middle of the restaurant. I remember my dad saying, go ahead, I'll drop you before you get off your first shot. Good stuff when you're eating, right? Everybody started screaming. Me and my brother jumped in, separated him, pulled him apart. You know, normal stuff you do when you're a kid. And, uh, and so I didn't like them very much back then, but I want to make this very clear right now because I see a lot of young people in here tonight. I do not feel that way anymore. I finally realized in my life that they were the good guys, we were the bad guys, at least most of the time. Look, any walk of life, anybody can get out of hand. But people, I want to tell you this. It's amazing how God can transform a heart, and I think you know He can do that, but how He can transform a mind how this whole distorted sense of view I had growing up where good was bad and bad was good. God's been able to fix that. And today, some of my dearest friends are in law enforcement all over this country and in other parts of the world. And not because I share information. I don't do that. We're just friends. Many of us brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you this, people. I learned through that experience, we really are all one in the kingdom of God. We really are. And I'll tell you, I give a very, very strong anti-crime message to all of our young people all over this country. You know, I've either been in prison or visiting prisons my entire life. I have a prison ministry now. I'm always going into these young people. I was in Alaska. I visited a prison there. I always try to get to one wherever I am in town. And I give them a very, very strong message. And that is, you do not get away with criminal conduct in America anymore. Forget about it. Law enforcement is too sophisticated. They got too many weapons. You go that route, you're going down. That's it. You know, I spent a lot of time with a lot of young kids coming into the system. 20-year mandatory minimum drug sentences. In the feds now, you got no more parole. You got 20, you're doing 17 and a half. These kids come in at 21, 22 years old. You can't come out of a prison being a productive human being when you got to go through that. And I talked to so many of them. Before I was a Christian, I just had a heart. I got seven kids of my own, got a heart for kids. And I used to hear, you can write the same script for every one of them. Broken home. No father figure in the house. Mom trying to do her best. Maybe not trying to do her best. Sometimes she's too young. She's taking care of herself. What happens? They got to make a few bucks. They gravitate to the local gang banger, the local drug dealer. They're doing their bidding. Where do they end up? In prison or, God forbid, someplace worse. And I would tell them straight out like I tell them now. You don't get away with criminal conduct in this country anymore. And one of the main messages I can give to all of you young people, please listen up. It applies to all of us people, but especially to you young people, is this. Remember this mob guy telling you this. In this world today, we are who we hang out with. You hang with the wrong crowd, you're going to be known to be the wrong type of person. And they will influence you. I'm going to tell you something. When I came to Christ, people, I didn't get a lobotomy. 
I don't forget the 20 years I put on the street. I get off a plane in New York, somebody looks at me the wrong way sometimes, I go, hey man, what's up? You know, it's like 20 years of ministry is out the street and I'm the mob guy again. It happens like that. But I've been so blessed, so fortunate to have people around me to keep me accountable. There's times when I'm struggling, people. Don't think that you're up here and everything is great. There's times I have a rough time during the day. My thoughts go crazy. I get on a, bro on a phone with a brother and say, hey, bro, we got to pray, man. I got some thoughts coming in my head today. Let's work this out. That's fellowship. That's what you need to do. Guys tell me, friends, oh, my God, I don't have to go to church. I got churches in my house. I tell them, church is not in your house. Church is right here in church. Churches where you hear this amazing worship music, you give praise and honor and glory to our God, right? You jump around here, I guarantee, you know, I'm not going to do that at home unless you do it in the shower, and it's not going to be as effective, trust me on that one, okay? It's where you hear a great message from the pastor that prepares you for all the stuff you might have to deal with during a week that you don't know where it's coming from. You know, you go out in the lobby, you have a, a cup of coffee, you, you fellowship with like-minded people that love the Lord. We must stay nourished, especially you young people. You have more negative influence on your fingertips than we ever had as kids growing up. Okay? It's around you all the time, and you have to hear the proper message because it's easy to drift away. You may love the Lord and still drift away because you've got to be nourished constantly. That's the way we live in this world. Face it. Church is important, people. The right church. Okay? So if I do come here, parents, grandparents, I come to your school, don't worry. I give the kids the right message because that's what I believe. But back then it was different. And I loved my dad. I didn't care what people said about him, what I read in the newspaper. He was a great father, great husband to my mother. Kids would say in the schoolyard, you got a mafia dad, I would fight. Loved my dad. He was great. He didn't want this life for me. Wanted me to go to school, be a doctor. Son, stay off the street, get an education. That's what it's all about. And I was on that road. Until my dad got in some trouble, things changed. I got to tell you a little story about my dad. I always try to honor him with it. Um, so I'll tell you this. You know, when I was a kid in school, I played all three sports. Kind of an athlete, all the three of the major sports. My dad would never miss a game, no matter what he was doing. Mob business, legit business. I'm playing ball, he'd show up, right? And baseball was really my sport. This happened so often, I'll repeat it. I'd be playing ball, I'd be up to bat. I look out at the corner of my eye, here comes dad. He'd drive up in a big black Cadillac or a black Lincoln. For those of you my age, remember those 1960 Cadillacs? Their fin was half the size of this room. You couldn't miss them, right? So he'd always come late. He never goes into the parking lot. He pulls right up to the field. He gets out of the car, all dressed nice in a suit, very sharp, right? Always have five or six guys with him, all dressed the same way, right out of central casting, I got to tell you. So they get out of the car, they walk onto the field, they go into stands, I'm up to bat, I kid you not. The umpire takes one look at that crew, he would never call strike three on me when he saw that. <laughs> I used to say, Pop, you're very good for my batting average. I played football, nobody would tackle me when he was in the stands. It's good to have a dad and a mob when you play sports, right? He was great. Got in some real trouble back in the 60s. Indicted three times in the state of New York, twice for grand larceny, once for homicide. Went to uh, trial on all three of those cases, eventually acquitted, found not guilty. But then in 1966, he was indicted in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. After a lengthy trial, he was convicted. 1967, sentenced to 50. 5-0 years in prison. Longest sentence for a bank robbery conspiracy conviction ever given up to that point. 1970, loses all those appeals, shipped off to Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas to do his time. I was devastated. He was 50 when he went in. At 50 on top of that, I figured I'd never see my dad a free man again. And at that time, I was a pre-med student at Hofstra University when dad went in. And it was devastating to me, people, because I really idolized my dad at that point. And um, I'll tell you a little bit, just as an aside, today, my dad's 101 years old, okay? 
Yes, thank you. He did 38 years in prison since 1970. He was in and out five times, each time on a parole violation, and each time for associating with another felon or somebody alleged to be in organized crime. You can't do that when you're on federal parole. When I was on parole, I had 526 people on my separation list. Feds actually give you a list with people you can't speak to, associate with. Some of them on a list I never heard of. Some of them were dead. They don't even let you go to a cemetery and meet with anybody. They cover all bases, right? Feds are tough. So my dad would come out, and he'd meet with people, thought he was being covert. They'd surveil him. They locked him up five times. About six or seven years ago, he was in a pen in Milan, Michigan on his fifth violation. I go see him. I said, Dad, come on, man. You're 93, 94 years old. You got to stop meeting people. This is getting ridiculous. He said, son, what do you want me to do? I don't know anybody that's not a felon. He said, even you're a felon. I said, I know that, Dad, but you're allowed to see me. It took me two years to get off his list. The feds are tough. I had a struggle to get off that. But anyway... You know, sad thing about my dad, after he gets out on that uh, case, a year and a half later, he's indicted on another federal case, goes to trial, gets convicted. They gave him another eight years at 100. He was the oldest inmate. My dad was released last June, okay, at the age of 100. He was the oldest inmate in the system at the time of his release. Today at 101 is the oldest living made man in America. He took that oath, amen. Thanks. He took that oath 68 years ago. He goes back to the days of Luciano and Costello and Maya Lansky. I learned a lot of history about my former life through my dad. He's like a walking encyclopedia. But, you know, he's in a rehab center now in Queens. I went to see him last Monday because uh, he bugs me all the time to come back. And I'm bringing, trying to bring him out to California. Anyway, I go to see him. And uh, he's sitting in his wheelchair. He's got phlebitis. He doesn't walk too well. And uh, he looks at his watch. And he says, you're two hours late. I said, no, no, Dad, I'm two hours early. You've been out here sitting too long. I said, but um, uh, he looks at me and he says, don't worry, son. Bide your time. We're going to take the family back. I said, okay, Dad, I got it. You know, <laughs> That's where his head is at. But uh, I tell you, I want you to, I, I, I've been doing this all over the world. I want you to pray for my dad. His name is Sonny. You know what it is when you try to minister to somebody in your family, you know, become a Christian, it's, okay, when you get out of this hypnotic spell you're in, let us know, you know. I've been trying, but I made a little progress with him. When I walked in the hospital the other day, a nurse walked by and he said, hey, I want you to meet my son, he's a priest. I said, Dad, I'm not a priest, you know. <laughs> but that's progress. But please pray for my dad. I got to say this right now. God bless the women. I've got women coming to me all the time, Mike, been, all morning. Mike, I've been praying for my husband. I've been praying for my son, my dad. I can't get him into church. Can I buy you a book? They love the mob stuff. Hey, who knows what God's going to use to lead somebody to the Lord, right? But I want to tell you this. Women are prayer warriors. I believe with all my heart. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'll get to that. That it was a woman that prayed me to where I am today. I believe in the power of prayer because of this woman and what I've seen later on. And listen, don't ever give up on prayer. One of the greatest stories in the Bible is what? We overlook it sometimes. The thief on the cross. There's that thief hanging next to Jesus that day. I don't think he knew him before that day. I doubt he was at the Sermon of the Mount. And if he was, he wasn't paying too close attention, right? But he's, he's lay, lying or hanging, I would say, next to our Lord. And he saw something in Jesus' heart that really touched him. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me today in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Well, hold on. I'm innocent. You're guilty. No. He looked in that man's heart. He saw it was sincere, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He wiped out possibly a lifetime of crime and sin and evil stuff in one second because he saw that man was forgiven. What more evidence do you need? All of you that might be struggling, what do you need? 
So please keep my dad in prayer. He doesn't have a chance, you know. I got thousands of people praying for him. I want him up there. He'll drive me crazy, but that's okay. I want him up there with me. And, uh, you know, Joe Colombo, the boss of my family at that point, he takes me under his wing. I'm, I, I start to meet a lot of my dad's friends. Mike, what are you doing going to school? If you don't help your old man out, he's going to die in prison. Very impacted by that. I go to see dad in Leavenworth. We're in the visiting room. Dad, I'm not going to school anymore. If I don't help you out here, you're going to die in here. And people want to tell you this. My dad, did a lot, my dad did a lot of bad things in his life. So did I. But that particular crime, my dad was innocent of. He was no bank robber. I'll take that to my grave. I investigated that case thoroughly. We spoke to every witness that testified against him. They recanted their testimony, proved they lied at the trial. We gave them all lie detector tests, passed, lied at the trial. We took it up to the Supreme Court on constitutional issues in my dad's case. We can never get the conviction overturned. He did 38 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But what does that tell you? It's what I tell our young people. You put your hand in the fire long enough, you're going to get burnt. The system is not always fair. You put this bullseye on your back, you're going to go down at some point in time. The best way to avoid it, avoid it. Stay away from it. You're not going to beat them, people. And there's no sense in having honest animosity against police. and all that. You're not going to beat them. Stay away from them. Don't make it part of your life that you have to interact with. And you're not going to have any problems most of the time. That's just the way it is. You know, we're arguing back and forth. Dad, I'm not going to school anymore. He was arguing. He didn't want that. No, no, your mom's going to be upset. I didn't want that for you. Too late, Dad. He knew I was kind of a headstrong kid. He said, okay. But if you're going to be on the street, I want you on the street the right way. In his mind, the right way was to become a member of his life. He said, go home. Somebody's going to be in touch with you. Do whatever you're told. That was it. My dad didn't give me any instruction. He didn't say, this is what's required of you. This is what you have to do. You know, that life's a secret life. You're not supposed to talk about it with anybody outside of that life. And if my dad's anything, he's a good soldier until today. He wouldn't discuss that even with me, his own son. He just figured I had it in me. Go home and do what you're told. And you know what? I didn't even question my dad. I loved him so much, I was ready to do anything he wanted me to do. Hey, Dad, point me in the right direction. I had blind faith in what my father asked me to do. And you know where I didn't have blind faith? In God. I didn't have blind faith in God. You know why? Because I'll tell you why. When you finally get into this relationship with Jesus, and you look back in your life, the light bulb is going to go off. You're going to say, God, now I see what happened here. Now I know why you put this person in my life. Now I know why you gave me this great joy, why you allowed me, not caused me. People, God does not cause us to go through pain and suffering. He allows it to happen, and at times he'll use it. You use meeting, I challenge God. I said, God, prepare me for what my purpose is later on. And because of this meeting, I challenged God. I said, God, no, I love my father. I trusted him more than anything. And look where it got me. I followed him blindly, and look where it got me. And it got me in a very bad place. I'll get to that. Take it a step further in my life. I took a blood oath, people. I surrendered my life to La Cosa Nostra. You come into that life, you give it all up, body, mind, and soul, or you don't survive. It's all consuming. I said, God, I did this twice in my life. I can't do this again. If you really are God, if this Bible was written by men but inspired by you, the blueprint for our life, that's how I look at Scripture. It's the blueprint for our life, God's Word in our life. And if you're telling me the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, no gray area, black or white, Jesus or nothing. I said, well... You're asking a lot of me, God. You put me on this earth. You gave me a free will. You said I can, I can practice one in any hundred faiths. I don't have to practice any faith at all. And now you're telling me this is the only way to go? No, God. You've got to prove it to me. You've got to show me the evidence. And people, I know a little bit about evidence. I think in terms of evidence. I'm kind of a cynical guy. You grow up on the street. You question everything. You have to at times to survive. 
Evidence has been a major, major part of my life. And I will tell you this, and I speak specifically to the guys, because they're hard-headed, I'll be honest with you, okay? A lot of guys say, oh, you know, I, I, I want to know. And then you don't want to look. Yeah, do the work, people. When I finally opened up my heart and my stubborn mind, and I said, God, show me, he didn't get upset with me. I believe he said, okay, son, if you're ready to open up your heart and your stubborn mind, I'm ready to show you because I am God and I do have the evidence. And I'll tell you this, when I did that, I found there was more evidence, more rock-solid evidence to prove that Bible is truly God's Word and that Jesus is our risen Savior, because I don't know about any of you. I don't put my faith in anybody that's dead and buried in a tomb. Dead people don't help us. There's more evidence to prove that than there is anything else that exists in the world. And if you do nothing when you leave here, you give your yourself your opportunity to prove that to yourself because God wants you to come to Him willingly and you cannot love somebody you don't know. And God is such a loving God. The qualities of Jesus Christ bring you to Him. They draw you to Him. His manhood, everything about Him will draw you to Him. If you open your heart and mind, then let it come in. I'm going to tell you this. When I came to Christ, He first appealed to my intellect. And then He went down into my heart. Because I was blown away by the man that He was. Jesus of Nazareth was the only perfect man's man that ever walked the face of the earth, people. Remember that. You want to emulate somebody? That's who you emulate in your life. That's it. So I left there that day. About two weeks later, a captain in the family picked me up, took me to see the boss. Joe Colombo had been shot, seriously wounded. He eventually died from the wounds. New boss took over. His name was Tom DeBella. Thomas passed on. Now I sat with Tom. Mike, I got a message from your father. He said, you want to become a member of this life? Is that true? I said, yes. Here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve this family, the Colombo family. That means if your mother is sick and dying, and you're at her bedside, and we call you to service, you leave your mother, you come and serve us. From now on, we're number one in your life before anything and everything. When and if we feel you deserve this privilege, this honor to become a member, we'll let you know. Again, people, it's not a business, a way of life. For the next almost two years, 18 months or so, I was in like a pledge period. I had to do anything and everything I was told to do to prove myself worthy. Could have been something very menial, a lot of discipline in that life, a lot of authority, a lot of alleged respect. You had a meeting at 8 o'clock, you weren't there at 7.30, you were late. You can never be late in that life. I always say, drive the boss to a meeting, sit in the car four hours. God forbid you go out to get a newspaper, go to the restroom, he comes out, you're not there, you're in trouble. I know I did that once, paid the price. A lot of stuff like that, people. And I want to be really honest with you tonight. And this is not for me. This is hard for me to say sometimes. Okay, but this is for all of you that are struggling here tonight. And I know some of you are because I've heard a lot of stories in the last two days. That life at times is very violent, people. And if you're part of the life, you're part of the violence, and there's no escape. And if anybody tells you differently, they're either not being honest with you or they weren't a made member of that life. And I think you know what I mean. And if you believe God has done a work in my life, what are you worried about? Really? I mean, come on, get with it. What are you worried about? This is the kind of God we serve. It takes a guy like me off the street and gives me a ministry, a life, freedom, a wife, kids, everything I adore. You open the door and he'll come in. So, about a year and a half later, it was Halloween night. 1975, 43 years ago, this coming Wednesday, I took an oath with five other gentlemen, and that night we all became sworn, made members of the Colombo family. People, I took that oath very seriously back then. I take it seriously tonight, even though I don't consider myself a member anymore. When you come into the life, there's no contract. There's no retirement age. You can't say, hey, I'm done. You know what they say? They say when you leave that life, you either leave in a coffin, 
join the government and enter a witness protection program. Obviously, I've done neither. But what I know about the life is in my heart and my mind. I'm not going to forget it. It was a very solemn ceremony, dimly lit room late at night. Six of us walked in individually, boss seated at the head of a horseshoe configuration, underboss consigliere to his left and right, all the captains were alongside of them. Walked down the aisle, stood in front of the boss, held out my hand, took a knife right here, cut my finger, some blood dropped on the floor. This is a blood oath. Cupped my hands. He took a picture of a saint, Catholic altar card, put it in my hands and lit it aflame. It didn't hurt, it burned quickly. It was merely symbolic. And he said something to me that night I don't really recall ever hearing in my life before. And I grew up as a Catholic. Catholic school from kindergarten right through high school, altar boy the whole bit. But for some reason for me, Catholicism was like a, a subject in school. I didn't understand that this whole life was based upon a relationship with Jesus. And people, I do a lot of Catholic ministries, and when I talk to them about a relationship with Jesus, they look at me like, what are you talking about? I mean it. And I'm not saying that. I'm not knocking Catholics, believe me. It just didn't work for me back then. And when he said this to me, it was the first time I recall hearing it. He said, tonight, Michael Francis, you are born again into a new life, into La Cosa Nostra. Violate what you know about this life, betray your brothers, and you will die and burn in hell like this saint is burning in your hands. Do you accept? Yes, I do. First time I was born again, I was born into a criminal lifestyle where every day of my life I lived in sin. And you know what that is? That's the enemy mocking our God. Like saying, I'll show you what born again is. I got one of yours. I believe that. I really do. Because that's the enemy's function. Separate us from God, mock our God. That's it. That's it. So the way we defeat that, just so you know, Paul tells us, put on the armor of the Holy Spirit. Because then you can recognize that every evil thing coming into your mind is put there by the enemy to separate you from God. Now, how do you defeat that? The closer you get to the Lord, the more you realize it, the easier it is to fight it off. And when you can't fight it off, you do what God tells you to do. You get down on your knees, you say a prayer. God, forgive me, help me, get me better the next time, and you will become better. You know why? Because Jesus is transforming you from the inside out. That's it. The other five guys went in the room. They all took the oath. You come into the life. You come in as a soldier. Motivated to do two things. One, get that out of prison. I did get him out after 10 years on parole. Told you what happened after that. Second, I wanted to make money. My dad said in this life, you make money, it translates to power. Not unlike the real world. No need to go into that. You saw the DVD. I was fortunate. Knew how to use that life to benefit me in business. I was very aggressive on the street. I did some things that weren't done before. I went on to make a very significant amount of money. 1980. Boss of my family, Carmine Persico. Mike, you're doing a great job. He's now doing life in prison. He said, I'm going to make you a cop regime, captain. That's it. The boss appoints you. You're done. And from 1980 until about 95, when I consider myself really removed from that life, I operated in that capacity. And I want to tell you where I was in 84, when I believe God started to make a transition in my life. 1984, I'm a captain in a family. Quite honestly, they were... They were grooming us to take over. Boss of the underboss. Boss had a son. He and I came in at the same age. Our fathers were grooming us to take over. I became a major target of law enforcement. I was indicted actually seven times, once right here on a big racketeering case for this old gas tax scam that I put together. Okay, two federal racketeering cases and a, a bunch more in the state. Okay, I went to trial five times. I beat every case. I beat Giuliani on a major racketeering case back in 84. Okay, I had a pretty good record. Honestly, with this whole gas tax scheme that I had devised, I was bringing into my operation eight to $10 million a week. I had my own jet plane. I had my own helicopter. I had a house in Marina Del Rey, California, a house in Del Rey Beach here, and a house in New York. I had 300 guys under me ready to do anything I tell them to do. I had organized all the Russians in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. We were all in a 
gas business together. I had it going on. The age of 29, top of the world, ma. Got all the money I ever need. Gonna be the boss of a major family, beat all of these cases, who's gonna touch me? Top of the world. I was headed for, straight for the boss of the Colombo family. And then something happened. Among many things I was doing, I was making movies. I had a production company in LA, and Smokey Robinson was, still is a good friend, comes to me with a screenplay for a breakdance movie. A lot of music, a lot of dance, a lot of rap music. And, uh, but that's when you can listen to rap music on the radio. Not like today. Forget about this stuff today. But back then it was cool. Sugar Hill Gang, Run DMC, The Fat Boys, Curtis Blow, remember? Old school rap. I like those guys. I had them all in a movie. I said, Smokey, I got a house in Florida. I love it down there. Let's shoot it down there. He said, great. So we're shooting it down here in Fort Lauderdale and Miami, right? And we bring 50 professional dancers from, the, uh, from L.A. to work in the film and uh, cast and crew. And we got them all staying in the Marina Bay Club in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Is it still there, the Marina Bay Club? I don't know. It's a great place. They had, like, boats. And, you know, we were setting up. Whatever. It was good. And uh, I don't know if it's there anymore. So they're all staying there. We had just finished pre-production. And on a Monday, we were going into the heavy work, principal photography. Sunday, I throw a party for everybody in the back of the pool, right? Great day, beautiful day like today. And I'm sitting by the pool, minding my own business. Guys, you'll appreciate this. And for you younger ones, you'll appreciate it someday. Trust me, I'm sitting there. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the water comes this gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful 20-year-old girl, right? I saw her, everything went in slow motion. It was like a Pepsi commercial, right? She comes out, <laughs> man, who is this girl, you know? She kind of blows me away. So the choreographer is sitting next to me. I said, Jeff, is that one of our dancers? He said, yeah. I said, bring her over, I want to meet her. Big shot producer, she'll want to meet me, why not, right? She comes over, I introduce myself to her. Camille, my name is Michael, I'm your producer. I want to get to know you better, let me take you to lunch. She says, sure, sweet, polite, gorgeous, right? I set a time and a place. Uh, I set up one of the uh, restaurants on top of the hotel. I had everything going but the violins. I figured she'd come up there, I'd sweep her off her feet, she's mine, right? That was my attitude. I'm up there almost an hour, she never shows up. She stood me up, right? I see her on a set the next day. I said, hey, what happened? We had a date, you didn't show up. I thought she was gonna say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I got a little tied up and I had something to do. She didn't do that. She looked at me like, did you really expect me to come? Like one of those looks, you know? You know what ladies, what I'm talking about, right? So it kind of set me off a little bit. I said, well, you know, what happened? Were you busy? She said, I was busy, I was rehearsing. I said, okay, can we try it again? She said, sure. We said another time and a place, I go, she stood me up again. Now she did this to me five times. Now if she was sitting here, she would roll her eyes, she says, why are you exaggerating? It wasn't five times. It says, excuse me, I was the offended party, I wasn't used to rejection. It was five times. Guys, we know when we're rejected, right? She will not have anything to do with me. One night we're having a cast meeting, it's 9.30 at night, she's coming out of the meeting, I always got my eye on her, she's with two of her friends, she's upset, something's wrong. I said, great, tailor made for me. I gotta fire somebody, get rid of somebody, I'm gonna be a hero now, right? So I go and see her, I said, Camille, what's wrong? She's Mike, I need to go home. And she lived, I said, where do you live? She said, I live in Anaheim, California, Disneyland, right? She used to dance at Disney and Knott's Berry Farm. And I said, why do you have to go home? She said, well, my parents are very strict. I've never been this far away from home, 3,000 miles, they're not here. And she says, honestly, there's some things happening on, went on, young kids, I don't really agree with. Now, it was a wild set, I gotta be honest. Music, dance, a lot of stuff went on, young kids. But I'm saying to myself, you're a dancer, what's the big deal? You know, not that anything wrong with dancers, but I'm just saying, you know, everybody else is doing it, what's wrong? And uh, she says to me, I forget exactly how she put it, but she goes, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a girl of faith, or I'm a Christian. I said, well, I'm Catholic, we got something in common, let's talk, right? <laughs> anything to get to know her better. I gotta cut to the chase, make a very long story short. I fell very much in love with this young woman, and she's now my wife of 33 years. Thank you.
And people, I'll tell you this, getting serious now, there's no doubt in my mind that she was the catalyst that God used to lead me to the Lord. Now, the reason I say lead me to the Lord, I mean, somebody can lead you, but nobody can make you accept him. That's very personal between you and God. So here's what happens quickly. I'm starting to, you know, we, we, we uh, get to know each other a little better on the set, wrap the movie. You know, she's very close with her mom. She says, you got to come home and meet my mother. Hey, no problem. I'm great with mom. So let's go, right? We jump on a plane. We go to meet her mom in Anaheim. Her mom, Irma, was the most godly woman I have ever met in my life. You meet Irma for two minutes, your name goes into her prayer book. She had a prayer book like a telephone book. I am not kidding. I am not exaggerating. And the name's on the book, in the book. The delivery boy on the corner with one shoe. Okay? I'm not kidding. The guy that came to the house, the pizza delivery guy, this, she saw you, you go in our prayer book, she sits on her little porch, very simple, very simple people, you know, and she prays and prays and prays. I have to tell this again. Five days into my knowing her, we're sitting at the breakfast table. She always asked me, how are you at your faith? I said, well, no, I'm okay. I grew up a Catholic. I mean, I, I, what do you mean by that? You know, it's okay. So, uh, you know, she would ask me that. And then um, I was answering her one day and she looked at me and she said, I believe one day you're going to be preaching the gospel to millions of people. I swear to God, okay? And I looked at her like, is this woman on drugs? I mean, there's something. <laughs> Does she know anything about what I'm doing right now in life? And I remember my wife, it was so funny, and it was so her. She looks at her and said, Ma, please don't scare this one. She said, I'm hoping for a Bible study during the week, maybe church on Sunday. Don't, you know, don't get them nervous. And she looked at my wife. I get the chills when I think about it because she's passed on now. But I looked at her. He, she looked at my wife, her daughter, and said, why would you limit the power of Jesus Christ in anybody's life? <laughs> Prophetic? I don't know. Okay? So here's what's happening, people. I'm falling in love with this girl, really falling in love with her. And I'm saying, you know what? Go work. I'm a direct. Now, I wasn't buying into it, but I said, they're serious. They're really serious. How's this going to work? I'm a direct contradiction to everything these women believe. And by the way, just got to let you know, my wife is Mexican. Now, we didn't have any Mexicans back in New York back then, okay? I never ate a burrito before I met my wife. I'll be honest with you. I love Mexican food now, but we didn't have it back then. And, you know, my wife never met an Italian before. She saw the God Godfather once. That was it. She didn't know anything about each other. But she was so serious and so sincere about her faith. I said, how is this going to work? I want to tell you these people, when I met her, the reason I set it up, it was never on my radar screen ever to walk away from that life, ever. It wasn't even a thought. You don't do that. But all of a sudden, my love for this young woman is becoming more powerful than this lifelong bond, this love, this adoration I had for my dad. It's becoming more powerful than this blood oath that I took to La Cosa Nostra. How do you explain that, people? I'm going to be honest, she wasn't the first beautiful woman I met in my life, but there was something about her. And now, 33 years later, the way my wife has turned, there's no doubt that something was God. God put this woman in my life. Because he had a different plan. Now, who did God put in your life? Who dragged you into this church tonight? Who's praying for you every day? Is your wife, your mother? girlfriend, your sister, your father, maybe a friend. I want to tell you these people, God doesn't take a day off. He doesn't go to the next church, the next town, the next city. He's always trying to get our attention, maybe through the people we meet, maybe through some great joy in our life, maybe through something that's unpleasant. He's always trying to get our attention. Are we paying attention? 
He can't fulfill his purpose in your life unless you're directed that way and you're paying attention. And he will get your attention. Easy, hard, he'll get it. Because like I said, he's not going to lose you. So now, here's the deal. I want this girl in my life. People want to tell you something. I deserve zero credit for walking away from my life. And I mean that. Because I betrayed my oath and I betrayed my life for selfish reasons. I wanted the girl and I knew I couldn't have both. That was it. I don't deserve any accolade. What a brave thing you did, Michael. No, there was no bravery in it all. I betrayed my father in a way and I betrayed my oath because I wanted the girl and I couldn't have both. So I had a plan. Here was my plan. I'll marry Camille. They're going to indict me on this whole gas case here. I got indicted here and I got indicted in, in the feds in New York. I said, I beat them so many times, they're going to want to get some time on me. I got leverage with the government. I'll make a deal with them. Here's my plan. I'll make a deal. I'll give them back some money. I'll do some time in prison. I'll marry Camille. I'll move out to California. There's no mob guys really out there. We called them the Mickey Mouse mob. They're not really out there. I said, when I get out of jail, I'll have parole and probation. Maybe after 10 or 12 years, the guys in New York will forget about me. That was my plan. And I tell you this, it had nothing to do with God. I didn't care what faith she was. She could have been Hindu, Buddhist, I didn't care. But I knew she was serious about it and it just didn't click with me. I didn't care. That was my plan. But you know what? Sometimes we walk parallel to God. Now what do I mean by that? I think I was walking down that path and God was looking down at me and he says, Oh, you married this girl, a good Christian girl. I put her in your life. You don't get it now, but one day you will. Oh, you're walking away from that life? Great. The light bulb went off. I can't do anything with you when you're running around the streets of New York committing crimes. But right now, my son, you're walking down parallel to me. But right now, one day, rather, we're going to intersect. And you know what you're going to find out? None of this was your plan for your life. This was my plan for your life. How many of you are walking parallel to the Lord right now? If you're not walking with Him, if He's not fulfilling His purpose in your life, you're walking parallel to Him. It's only a matter of time, people, until He intersects with you. I marry Camille in July of 85. In December of 85, I take a plea. Ten-year prison sentence. I think three months, nine-year prison sentence here in Florida. $15 million restitution in the feds. I think $3 million here. I don't remember all these restitutions, but bottom line is I wrap everything up and I go off to do my time. Now, I'm in jail, honestly, away from that life. That's three months when all hell broke loose. It comes out publicly that I was walking away from that life. That's another whole story. We don't have time. It's not important now. But all hell broke loose. Boss contract on my life, my father, he actually disowned me at that point in time. Everybody thought I was going to cooperate with the government and become a witness because that's what happens when people walk away. That never happened, but for a long time, people, I had a lot of trouble. The feds come into prison. Francis, quote, you're a dead man anyway. It's all over the street from our informants. Cooperate with us. We'll put you in a program. Preserve your life and that of your families. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I wasn't mad at anybody. I just wanted out of the life. They didn't take no financial. I did five pretty tough years in prison. The feds put me on diesel therapy, moved me to all the prisons in the country, trying to break me down. It was tough. My poor wife would come and visit me. They shipped me out the night before everywhere. She had a rough five years. And people, let me tell you this. I'm not the story here. My wife is a story. I brought more baggage into that young girl's life. She was 21 years old. I married her. And she will tell you, I love my husband. But if God wasn't in the foundation of our marriage, I wouldn't have made it through. Too tough, people. I did eight very hard years in prison. Hard for her. Forget it. Okay? Contract on my life. It was, a, it was a, just a mess. I'm telling you. And I get out after five years. We get through all of that. I'm on parole for 13 months. 
the worst 13 months of my life. Big shot mob guy. Made all this money on the street in New York. I couldn't get anything going in L.A. I was like a fish out of water. Of course, I couldn't put a house in my name, no utilities. I had to keep moving from time to time. The government would come to me. There's people out here to hurt you. Whether they like you or not, if they get word that your life is in danger, they have to come and inform you. We didn't have cell phones back then. We had beepers. Every time I walked out of the house, my wife would beep me because they put it in her head that I wasn't going to survive. It was tough. Really, really tough. After 13 months on parole, like a fool, and I mean a fool, I fall into a trap. I violate my parole. Feds picked me up walking out of a bank, throw me in a paddy wagon, lean my, my bank accounts, took my car, went to the house with a search warrant, cleaned us out, went into my wife's purse, took every penny, said to her, you don't work, this is your husband's money, you know, we're indicting him on another racketeering case, we're allowed to take everything under the forfeiture stature. They said to her, your husband will never be a free man again. She had a breakdown on me at that point. You know, she didn't talk to me for six or seven weeks, something like that. If it wasn't for her mom and her faith, I'd have lost her back then. And I understand it. I get it. It was tough. We had two little babies. She was devastated. They're driving me down to the federal lockup. And they say, Francis, we're done with you. I'll be honest with you. You know, I think I'm a, always very sharp. I was trying to pull a game on the feds. Yeah, I'll help you out. But then I wouldn't, you know. Finally, it caught up with me, and that was it. And they had enough. They said, okay, you want to play with us? Here's the deal. We indicted you on a new case. We violated your parole. We took everything you got. You will never see the street again. They throw me in that six by eight cell uh, downtown LA, ready to um, transport me back to Brooklyn in the morning where my case was. And here's my situation. I said, man, I'm done. I said, it's over. I said, another racketeering case? People, they took all my money? You don't beat these cases with a public defender. I spent millions defending myself during my time. I said, they can't put me out in the yard. I got everybody looking to hurt me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this six by eight cell. I said, my wife, how's she going to wait for me now? She waited for me five years, 13 months on parole. She's 27 years old. We got two little babies. I'm going to lose the girl I did all of this for. I want to tell you this, people. I have felt every emotion you can feel in life from ecstasy right down to grief and everything in between. But by far, the worst emotion you could ever feel is hopelessness. When you feel it's over, when everything that's dear to you is gone, it was the loss of everything that I cared about, everything I loved. I felt like I was in this deep, dark hole. Nothing I can do to drag myself out. For the first time in my life, I had no answers. I was scared. You can call me a coward, call me weak, whatever. I used to demean people that were suicidal. You're weak. How do you not face up to your troubles? I don't do that anymore. I wasn't suicidal that night, but you know what? I wanted to lay my head on that pillow and not wake up. It was too painful for me to think. I'm not kidding. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I was done. And I was angry with God because my mother-in-law, my wife, accept Christ, he'll forgive your sins. Hey, great. I want some of that. What do I got to do? Get on my knees, say a prayer, really try to mean it? Did I? I don't know. My mother-in-law, I'll never forget telling me, you got to surrender your life to Jesus. Well, I couldn't process that. I didn't get it. What do you mean surrender? I'm so much part of that life, mob life. No, God helps those who help themselves. I didn't get that part. But you know what, people? What I have found? Your acceptance of Christ is made whole in your surrender to Christ because that's when He can work in you and through you. And there's no shame in surrendering to the greatest person that ever walked the face of the earth who happens to be our Lord and Savior. So I'm laying in there and I just want to end it all prison guard walks by my cell he looks in Francis you don't look good I said get away from me man don't bother me tonight I don't want to see any more of you guys he left he comes back a minute later pushes something through the slot on the door falls on the floor I hear a thump 
I looked down, it was a Bible. I didn't want to see a Bible, people. Believe me, the last thing I wanted to see. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm looking down at that. I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm getting so upset. I jumped off of that cot. I picked up that Bible. I slammed it against that cinder block wall as hard as you could. Everything came out of me. Everything. It took me another minute. I said, you know what? I got nothing but enemies. There's only me and God in this cell. I don't want another enemy. I picked up the book and it's almost like I challenged God. I looked up at the ceiling. I remember I was angry. I said, hey, you're really up there? Well, you need to give me something to make me feel better because I can't deal with this. I need help. I'm holding the book and people, I don't remember reading the Bible in Catholic school. Maybe I did. I don't remember. I remember reading the catechism. I didn't know where to begin. I'm holding the book. It falls open to the book of Proverbs. Coincidence? I don't think so. Analytical guy. Things got to make sense. The whole bit. I'm starting to read Proverbs, and man, Solomon is brilliant. He kind of took me away for a minute. I'm reading Proverbs, and I'm saying, this is brilliant. You know, when God said to Solomon in the book of Kings, nobody before you will ever be as wise, and nobody after you will ever be as wise, as a reward for what? For what he didn't ask for, with the exception of Jesus, who had a little advantage, he happens to be God, nobody was as brilliant as Solomon. And I'm reading, and I'm starting to forget a little stuff, and then all of a sudden, it came to a verse, just stop me cold. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Now, why did that verse hit me that night? Because I had nothing but enemies. I focused on that for a second, and then it was almost as if the Holy Spirit brought me back on people. I have no special connection with the Holy Spirit. I don't see Him in my sleep. He doesn't talk to me audibly. My connection with the Spirit is on this stage because I'm doing it for the people out there trying to be a messenger. But that night was the first night I believe he got my attention and spoke to my heart. Why? Because I was desperate. God will take us when we're desperate. He'll take us when we're up, we're down, everywhere in between. Got my attention. It was almost as if he stood there in my heart. I felt it. What are you upset with me for? You married this girl for you. You didn't marry her for me. And you left that life for you. But had you done it for me, I'll take care of your enemies because I can handle that. That's how I interpreted that verse. I promise you. And you people know that know your Bible. You can read a Bible verse 10 times. It'll have 10 different interpretations. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to you through that verse according to your needs at that moment. Cause me to read on. I came to the verse that's become the verse of my life, people. And I think it should be the verse of every one of your lives. I see to do that. It starts here. Now, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I am a former mob guy. I have a tendency to do that, okay? Now, I'm going to sign. I'm not going to sign tonight. We ran out of books, but you you get books somehow. But um, I used to feel silly signing books. Ah, come on. Don't sound right. You know, some things you just take a little too far. But then God put it in my heart. No, you sign books, but you don't ever sign your name without putting this verse underneath because I want to bring people's attention to it. You won't see my signature without that verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Doesn't everything begin with trust? Lean not on your own understanding. Because sometimes we just don't have the answers, people. I didn't have them that night. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Because He deserves it. He's God. And get this verse, because I looked up the translation. He will, not He can, or not He might, He will make your path straight. That's my story, people. Okay. Now let me sum this up. 
Wait a minute, let me end this up because you haven't even got a glimpse of the power of God yet. Let me tell you this, this is the payoff here. The racketeering case falls apart, they never indict me. They gave me four years on a violation, maximum. I spent 35 months and 13 more days in prison, 29 months and seven days in that hole. Six by eight cell, 24 seven, me and God. And people, not easy, I'm telling you right now. I saw a lot of guys that not do well. If I didn't dive into my Bible, if I didn't, if I didn't want so badly to find out the truth, because that's the night I challenged the God. I said, no God, this don't work for me, prove it to me. If you see my prison Bible, there's more of my notes on there than there is scripture. I know my Bible. I don't quote verses, I'm not that smart, but I know my Bible, okay? I had my wife send me in over 400 books on every faith. I studied every faith because I wanted to know the truth. I had nothing but time on my hands. And I want to tell you this, during the worst time of my life, God used that to bring me to where I am today. And I'll tell you another thing, during the worst time of my life, I thought when I'm sitting in a hole, the Colombo family is going to war, 13 guys got killed, 29 more guys went to prison, poor Michael is in the hole, and that's where God saved my life. So at the worst time of your life, it might be God's best work in your life, and he's doing it for a reason. So I get out of there, I have no clue what I'm gonna do. Preacher, the pastor of my church, who I hardly knew, he married me. He was so good to me when I was in jail. He would send me books and money. I told my wife, why is this guy sending me money? I don't even know him, he married us. She said, keep quiet. He loves the Lord and turn, he loves you. Okay. So I get out, he asked me to give my story to the church. He says, you got a great testimony. Would you give your testimony to the church? Testimony, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I thought you did that from a witness stand. I didn't know what he was talking about. People, you know, I've spoken all over the world, like pastor said, you know what? I've learned to follow and not lead God. And he's developed this ministry in his time. And people always remember, it's in his time. He's not a genie in the bottle. It's in his time. He's got to prepare us and cultivate us and get us to do the right thing. Get our hearts right, get our minds right, and get things going the right direction. You know, I've written four books. I'm on my fifth. They're doing a big movie on my life. I'm going on a television series. I'm all over YouTube. And I don't do anything unless in some way it complements the ministry because that's my promise to God. Now, I want to tell you how significant this all is. I'm going to wrap it up, finally. My, my book, Blood Covenant. Guys, you want to read a mob story? It's a mob story. I don't sugarcoat anything. Ladies, it's a love story. A story about me and my wife and how we got together. But really, it's a story about how God can transform a life. You need to read the inside cover. When I walked out of prison in 1995, everybody predicted my death. Life magazine, inside cover, quote, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to be in my... No, I'm sorry. You know what I just forgot the quote <laughs> I've done this so many times though I forgot anyway life magazine predicted my death okay it'll mark the first time a high-ranking member of the mafia will publicly walk away from his, his, his uh, life and live publicly right Ed McDonald head of the organized crime strike force went on national TV in 95 the day after I was released from prison and he said quote I wouldn't want to be in Michael Francis's shoes. I don't think his life expectancy is very substantial. He was very diplomatic, predicting my demise. Bernie Wells, the FBI agent, one of them on my case, went on TV right after him. He wasn't diplomatic. He said, quote, Francis will get whacked. And I think you know what that means in street terms. My mother, God rest her soul, I pray for my son every night. She was so worried for me, knowing what I was going through. And she didn't think I was going to make it, honestly. 
Halloween night, 1975, I walked into a room with five other gentlemen. Today, I'm the only one alive, people. Not one of those men died of natural causes. Every one of them were murdered. It's a tough life in that war. Want a little more proof that when God's got a plan for you, nothing's going to get in the way? Fortune magazine, written in 86, 50 biggest and most powerful mob bosses in the country. It was half the magazine. It was huge. They featured six of us. I was one of the six. They actually had a chart with the 50 of us on there, according to rank, wealth, power. I was number 18, youngest guy on the list, five behind John Gotti, who was number 13 at the time. He hadn't been made boss yet. And I always say, people, don't ask me how they make a list like that. They didn't ask for our tax returns. It was silly, right? Sold a lot of magazines. Silly list at the time. But you know what's not silly about that list? Listen up. Today, some 30-odd years later, out of that list of 50, 47 of those men are dead. Two of them are doing life in prison without parole. And number 50 is here for one reason and one reason only. To give praise and honor and glory to our Lord and Savior and my hero, my hero, Jesus Christ. Let's give it up for Jesus. Give it up for Jesus. Now what does that tell all of you? It tells you that when God has got a plan and a purpose for you, and He does for every single one of you, nothing is going to stand in the way. No mob, no sickness, no gang, no death, no mafia. Nothing will stand in the way of our God fulfilling His purpose in our lives except for one thing. You know what that one thing is? That's every one of us, people. Because remember this, our loving, gracious God is never an intruder on our life. He's always an invited guest. So people, what are you waiting for? If you want God to do a work in your life, you're ready to give it up? Pastor is going to come up here tonight, and he is going to make you an offer you shouldn't refuse. Okay? God bless you all. Thank you so much for having me here. It was a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Brave Church. For more information or to get in touch with us, visit us at bravemiami.com.